children are a heritage from children Children are a heritage from the Lord. Well, welcome to the Abolish Abortion Missouri podcast. I am your host for this episode, Joshua Jenkins, one of the board members for AA Mo, and we are working to continue the fight in seeking the abolition of abortion here in our state because. It is still uh, not uh, equally, the laws do not equally reflect the protection of unborn babies. So that's what we're all about. And we want to talk about the day, talk about that today. I've got a, a guest with me here, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ben Zeisloft. Ben, uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us a few minutes of your time. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself. Just tell us what you do, your family, and any any information like that that you uh, don't mind sharing. Absolutely. Yeah, great to be here, brother. Um, I'm Ben Zeisloft. I'm the editor of the Republic Sentinel, uh, republicsentinel.com, uh, where I edit articles and I write um, on many issues, but including the abolitionism issue um, and tracking the pro-life movement and where that's going post-Roe. Um, I'm a church member here in Philadelphia. Um, I'm, I've been married for a year and a half to my wife. Um, so that's that's the that's the fast bio for me. I, I come from the Daily Wire. Uh, I left that job last year. Um, so that's what I'm up to. Fantastic. And you consider yourself an abolitionist. You've been following some of these stories since Roe v. Wade. What are some of those things? I know there was the Ohio uh, issue where they put uh, rights to abortion in the Constitution. There was the Louisiana thing. That was a big uh, issue last year or a couple years ago, whenever it was. Have you followed those stories or any other stories that you've followed regarding abolition? Yeah, those are some of the main ones. Uh, so one of the first articles I wrote about that pertained to the abolitionism controversy divide uh, was the Louisiana bill. So for those, I'm sure most of your listeners know, but most um, there were over 70 pro-life groups that came out and, and wrote this letter um, on the cusp of the Louisiana House of Representatives passing a bill to abolish abortion, establish equal protection, saying that this is not pro-life because it it could uh, inflict women with criminal penalties even if they you know choose to go through with an abortion. So that that was a, a huge moment in in the whole abolitionism discussion. So I report on that, um, and then moving into the Republic Sentinel, I report on uh, Lizzie Marbach being fired uh, last summer from Ohio Rights of Life after. Uh, an online scuffle with uh, a Republican congressman over the gospel, actually. Um, and that was one of uh, a, a few final straws just with her uh, bold rhetoric. You know, she, she being a Christian, wanted to address abortion head on, call it murder, uh, call out the people who are who are being activists in the state of Ohio trying to push through abortion measures. Uh, so we covered that and we covered um, the fact that some of the pro-life leaders in Ohio had had made calls behind the scenes, and, and you guys know how this works too. It probably happened in Missouri. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Made calls behind the scenes and, and it convinced uh, state reps, state senators to not go through with uh, an abolition bill. Um, and we're also covering a lot of the SBC issues as it pertains to the abolitionism uh, discuss it, discussion. So how the ERLC is, is treating the issue, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is the public policy arm of the SBC, um, and a lot of the state conventions that are that are passing abortion abolition resolutions 
saying that we, we're not really satisfied with the pro-life approach anymore. We want to actually take a, a bold affirmative biblical stand on ending abortion in our states and our nation. Yeah. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about the Sentinel that you uh, write for or work for? I've, it's not an organization that I had been familiar with until just coming across you on, on Twitter or X. So if you would just tell us about uh, the Sentinel. Absolutely. Yeah. So we are a conservative news and media outlet uh, that is owned and operated by Christians. So it's not necessarily like the Christian Post or Christianity Today or like an explicitly Christian news outlet where you're going to, or every single article somehow pertains to the faith, but it's just bread and butter conservative news. So we have economics, we have immigration, uh, the rest of those sort of issues and, you know, the um, abortion, transgenderism, some of the social policy issues too, but all of it top to bottom is written by Christians. So uh, you're not going to find uh, preferred pronouns. You're not going to find, you know, sort of those subtle ways that a lot of news organizations, including conservative ones, give ground to the spirit of the age. Uh, so that's, that's our, that's what we're up to. Yeah. That's fantastic. Much needed. And uh, definitely we'll be checking that out some more after after we talk here. Um, if you wouldn't mind as well, I just would like to ask, how did you become an abolitionist? Because typically we're not born that way. It's uh, yeah. something people kind of realize and learn and have an eyes opening moment. So how'd that happen for you? Yeah, so I can back up a little bit earlier and just, uh, I guess, discuss my conversion. Um, so I grew yeah. up in an evangelical household. Um, went to college, um, met older upperclassmen who actually knew their Bibles, you know, had a personal walk with the Lord. Um, so there, there was evidence of fruit in my life earlier on. Um, but I, I think I was converted toward the end of my freshman year as I was starting to read like the book of James, the book of John, uh, getting convicted over my sins and, and just watching upper, you know, older students who weren't much older than I am, uh, have a robust knowledge of the scriptures and walk with the Lord. Uh, so that quickly led into, um, caring deeply about abortion um, as you know the, the central issue of facing Christians in our country in this age, uh, because a lot of those students were going to uh, the abortion mill here in Philadelphia and doing sidewalk counseling and sidewalk ministry and helping moms choose life. Um, and then, so I I had heard of the abolitionism movement, um, and I in my own mind it was like uh, you know I, I like these guys I respect what they're doing, but you know I also kind of respect the the idea of chipping away at abortion and, and running all the plays. That was kind of my stance for a little while there. Um, and then I met um, the guys at Free the States, which is now Abolition Abolition Rising, Abolitionist Rising, in the summer of 2021 in Nashville. And uh, I listened to the Liberator podcast and just got to know those guys on a, on a personal level, but listened to their stuff, paid attention to what, to, what they were doing. And I started to see, you know, the, the fundamental flaws in the, in the pro-life system where it's, it's actually, it's not foundationally Christian, which is the biggest issue to me, because as somebody who was cutting my teeth on Jeff Durbin and presuppositional apologetics, I knew it was super important to actually root every every thought, take every thought captive um, in accordance to Christ. So honoring Jesus with, you know, not just church on Sundays and Bible study Wednesday nights, but, you know, how Christians interact with politics and the workplace and family uh, so that's the that's the mode in which I was starting to think. So the abolitionism uh, fit right into that. Yeah, and praise God. I love love to hear those stories. Um, yeah. Now, were you at the Daily Wire when you had your conversion to abolition, we'll call it? Or was that after you had left there? I was an intern there at the time. Yeah. Okay, so you interned the Daily Wire. Was that ever uh, in conversations I don't know how much interaction you had with people that worked for the Daily Wire, 
was abolition something that was talked about at all or uh not, not really? necessarily i mean um i mean it's it's relatively small and it's 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 it's, it's in a niche corner of evangelical world and that's that's not so much the case anymore you're seeing a lot more attention being drawn to those ideas um so i don't, I don't think i ever had discussions about abolitionism uh with my colleagues at the daily wire um i i took comments from when i wrote about abortion related issues i took comments from abolitionists so instead of reaching out to like a march for life i reach out to free the states or end abortion now um that sort of thing i did a couple of profiles of of people who were trying to challenge that um pro-life narrative so i interviewed like dennis arfate and jeff durbin at one point um just talking about you know what what why they were distinct from the abolitionist movement but i mean i've never really been um a reporter solely focused on that that subject matter so it didn't really impact much about my my writing apart from those handfuls of, of opportunities which i'm still thankful for gotcha nice all right well the thing that got me to um want to set up this podcast with you is i've seen you um on twitter and things online uh here and there kind of lightly seeing some of your work. But then I, I noticed a tweet that grabbed my eye that you made on February 6th, which was a tweet that says this. It says, the exact same homicide laws that already protect born people from murder should also protect pre-born people from murder, uh, from murder. And obviously as an abolitionist, as abolished abortion Missouri, that's what we're trying to do. And so I thought it'd be great if we talked about that and uh, dealt with that issue and objections to that issue. So you're an abolitionist. You cut your teeth on Jeff Durbin and a lot of those guys in abortion now. Um, what was it that made you, was there anything that prompted you to make this tweet, if you even remember, or if you don't remember that, why is it that the, the same homicide law should be applied to born or pre-born persons? Yeah, in terms of why I, I made that tweet, I think I was just thinking through how utterly simple and consistent <laughs> all of this is. You know, yeah. if we so I think pretty much every pro-lifer, hopefully every pro-lifer, would say, I think that the baby in the womb is an image bearer of God, is human from conception, all the rest. Right. If that's true, all that we're saying is let's just apply the exact same laws to protect our lives to those same preborn babies. So both born and, and preborn people are treated as the image bearers that they are because that's the foundation as a christian for why we even have the death penalty why we have laws against murder is going back to genesis 9 you know god saying you know i made man in my own image you know those who take the lives of image bearers also forfeit their lives that's the foundation for civil government so you know if, if government isn't prosecuting murder what what are they good for They're, they exist to protect life liberty and property and that that most obviously includes making sure that you can't just murder somebody and get away with it. So right. that's, that's what inspired the tweet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things, one element of that sentiment that we teach and we're trying to see done here in Missouri and abolitionists across the United States is the fact that, you know, cause we can get labeled all kinds of crazy things that are just absurd and, and untrue. And this idea is, is very, very critical because when, with our abolition bills and legislation, we're not creating any new laws that are specifically targeting women or or implementing these new stricter 
death penalty or instant death penalty or whatever, like, like they make it sound like we're just hunting yeah. down women in the streets. It's absurd. We're simply saying the laws, you know, for each state, whatever, you know, Oklahoma or whatever Missouri's homicide laws are, that should be applied to all persons. And we recognize persons begin at the earliest stages in the, in the womb. So that's a critical element of this that we just want to hammer home the truth on and dispel those absurd slanders that we receive on that. Right. All right. I want to set up for you uh, some softball questions or just set it on a tee and, and you swing away. As you can imagine, we know how it works online. You tweet something like this and you get all sorts of trolls and uh, just ridiculous comments. I was scrolling through the comments here. Most are just pretty brain dead, not even worth engaging, as you can uh, imagine. But there's a couple I wanted to set up for you, and you respond to them, all right? Sure. Okay. One objection is, if this is your position, how do you... So this is coming from someone who's sympathetic, who maybe is a Republican. How do you expect to win an election? again with a platform like this that's not yeah. politically correct absolutely it's well i would say it's been done people have won elections mm -hmm. running on these issues and the most the most obvious recent example is dusty devers in oklahoma where he defeated three other republicans and then the democrat um in a pretty red district but the, his opponents spent millions of dollars to take him down to defeat him and he didn't compromise at all on, on these issues. So he said on his website, you know, I'm, I'm for the abolition of abortion. He said in his campaign ads, he ran on that issue. Um, and he still won, you know, hand over foot very easily. Um, and that's happened in many other states, happened in Idaho. And, you know, across the country, there's been people who, who win elections running on these issues. Uh, what I say to that person is, you know, I understand the sentiment. It's reasonable to say, well, oh, what what if we what if we can save some babies rather than all the babies? Shouldn't we go for the some babies? And the problem is that you start to ingrain the idea that not all babies are worth protecting into the minds of the electorate. So we've we've had a regime for the past fifty years under Roe where people think that way. They say, oh, we can't no matter what no matter what we're not even allowed to protect these babies. You know, nullification of the Supreme Court on that on that issue was you know completely unthinkable for for most cases. Um, but now, even after Roe, we see we still see that trajectory where you know Republicans are are pushing for 15 week bills. You know, let's let's just ban abortion after uh, 15 weeks. Even though I think I read somewhere that uh, over 90 percent of abortions happen before that anyway. So what exactly is that doing? So even though they have the political power uh, to actually end abortion, to abolish abortion, maybe with a little bit of leadership, they can they can shepherd their people into seeing it the right way. We're, we're just like the the main who we're talking about where all we're doing is protecting human lives with the same lives to protect people who are already born. Um, so I, I'd caution against um, not discipling the, in, just like the Bible says, the law is a tutor, uh, not teaching the, the electorate and the people in our country that human lives are worth protecting, right? So yeah. if, there were, if we had the same discussion with, you know, murdering children ages zero through 18, you know, we would never countenance the idea that we, we would, you know, say, let's, let's pass a bill that makes it illegal to murder kids after age six, you know, that's completely unreasonable. So I'm saying just apply all those arguments. If, if what you, if what you say you believe about pre-war babies is actually what you believe that they're image bearers of God from the moment of conception, just apply all the same arguments you would make about children, toddlers who are, you know, 
hypothetically vulnerable to murder and just apply it to everybody, every human being, every image bearer of God. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's very helpful when we have examples where it has worked, where guys have one like Devers and here in Missouri, we have Senator Mike Moon. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he has sponsored our abolition bill every year since 2017 or 2018, going yeah. from the Missouri House now to the Missouri Senate. He's won re-elections, so it can work. One of the things about that that I'm kind of seeing, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, it seems like we're we're moving into a day and age in a uh, kind of a political atmosphere where things are getting so polarized that it's actually going to be the more winnable position to not be a mushy middle moderate, yeah. but to just be boldly <laughs> uh, one side or the other. Do you see that going on? Certainly. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's very easy to lose respect for Republicans. You know, that we've seen the term rhino emerge in the past several years after Trump, Republican name only. So I'm hoping that, you know, Republican voters see this way on abortion too. You know, where when we elect somebody, we expect them to actually push the policies we want them to push. And, you know, without compromise, without exception, actually push, fighting as hard as the left does, fighting as hard as the Democrats do, walking in lockstep with their insane agenda. You know, how much more so should Republicans be able to walk in lockstep on a, a very sane agenda of just protecting children from being slaughtered in the womb? So, yeah, yeah definitely seeing that dynamic. All right, here's another uh, little softball put on the tee for you. Um, an age-old objection that's so absurd, but how can you say this when you don't have a uterus? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna shock you here that that absolute truth extends beyond the uterus, right? Where you, you're allowed to say true things whether or not you have certain anatomy, I guess. So. My our, our assertion, my assertion is that, you know, human beings are made in God's image. You know, abortion, abortion is murder, uh, murder is sin, uh, forgiveness is, for sin is found in the gospel. And all that applies, obviously, to the preborn baby as well as the as the born person. Um, so those are absolute truth claims. You know, just because I happen to not have a uterus. First of all, how dare you assume my gender? You don't know my gender. <laughs> but uh, just because I don't have a uterus doesn't mean, you know, I can't make an absolute truth claim and, and somebody else, male or female, can can try to rebut it or refute it. Um, so I, I think that's the world we divide there where Christians believe in absolute truth because our God is truth. He himself is truth. You know, truth, he he spoke the universe into existence. The universe runs on logic and, and reason. And you can discover that reason uh, by scripture and nature. So, and obviously the our people in our world don't think that way. They, they think that, they say they think that uh, truth is relative and that you can make up your own truth. But uh, there's a famous R.C. Sproul quote where he said, if somebody denies absolute morality, steal their wallet and see if they still do that. Because you can say, well, you know, in my world, in my system, stealing is totally fine. They're going to they're going to protest the fact that you, you grabbed their wallet and ran with it, ran with it. Um, but I think I think that's part of what we have to point out is, is that underlying error of saying that truth is relative rather than absolute. That's right. I think with the continued gender rebellion and confusion going on that that argument's going to end up devouring itself sooner than later it seems like so it's kind of like the the principles that you know uh stupid is not a winning uh idea you know it's not a winning principle it's going to end up caving in on itself um the other thing i would just add to that too is 
particularly as men, when we look at how God has created men and women with different roles and responsibilities and just differences as men, we are the ones who ought to be speaking on this because God has yeah. charged us with protecting the weak, the orphan, the oppressed, and who, who are the orphan and the oppressed in our day, but if not most prominently those in the, in the womb. Absolutely. So because I'm a man, I have to speak on this, you know? Yep. So yeah, um, that's, that's a great point. If we, if we, if we could go park on there, I see that a lot in, in our camp too, you know, the conservative pro-life world where the mindset is, well, abortion is a woman's issue. So we, we, we need to find a woman to speak to this for us. We need to elevate a, a female conservative commentator. Um, and if we're a man and we want to oppose abortion and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for those female conservative commentators who do oppose abortion, but, you know, as a man, like you're saying, God made us to protect and provide for for the weak, uh, for the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, um, and those under our care. So our own wives and our own children. So we should be the very first ones to take hits in the public square by opposing, you know, the worshippers of Molech, child sacrifice. Um, and part of me thinks, you know, if your protective instincts as a man are are not triggered by this issue, are not put into play by this issue, we're, you know, like just thinking about all the murder that happens in all of our cities, all of our states. You know what is wrong with you? Like you, you need to repent and you need to, you know, conform your mind and heart to the mind and heart of Christ because He is the one who saves. You know, He God is the the Father of the fatherless and protector of widows, as Psalm sixty eight says. And you know that that Father word is not an accident. There is actually a yeah. creational element there too. Amen. Yeah, it's almost like a, it well, it is a cowardly response, even for guys on the right side of things to want to prop up a woman. And again, as you say, we're very thankful for the women commentators and the mothers who speak. We need them. We're not telling them to stop talking, but for a man to say, well, here, listen to so-and-so female yeah. and not me. I'll be quiet and I'll let it's cowardly because when you do that, it's not going to be immune to attacks and arrows. She's going to take hits for saying the things they don't care you know, they'll just switch their arguments to something else if, if it's a woman saying it. And so we right. need to be the ones to say, I'll take the, I'll take the arrows, you know, and yeah. I'm not going to lift up a a wife or a mother to take those for me. She can get out and fight and, and, and do the things in her way that she can. But as a man, I'm not going to put, you know, grab a woman and put, put her in front of me, to take, take the hit. So critical. Um, all right, here's another one I'll put on a T for you. One person comments, and this is someone who is sort of agreeing with you. Um, so maybe you can just kind of riff on this. But they pointed out that most people, there were some polls done, and you can just ask people. Um, most people would agree that a child should receive protections if a mother takes drugs or something during mm -hmm. her pregnancy. We would recognize you are harming the child in your womb. Yeah. Why is there this disconnect? If people can see that, yeah, and yet say, "Well, you can kill them though." <laughs> that, yeah. Not with drugs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really interesting point because I mean, the way that the abortion issue is going is toward taking drugs to kill your baby, right? Mm -hmm. So Christians and, and conservatives still think of you know the the abortion clinic, the surgical abortion clinic, as the main. Uh, way in which abortion happens that hasn't been true since i think 2020 where that was the year um 
the abortion pill. So ordering, um, I believe it's called uh, misoprostol and um, mifepristol. I'm butchering those, but to essentially a, a series of two pills through the mail uh, in order to kill your babies. That's that's the year in which it switched over from physical abortion clinics to just order a pill and kill your baby in your dorm room or in your bedroom or on your couch, wherever you feel like it, you know, take them on the steps of the Supreme Court, like some ladies did a couple of years ago, and you can't get charged for it. But then when it comes to, you know, smoking cigarettes, when you're pregnant, or drinking alcohol or doing meth, whatever the case may be, I think, uh, pretty much every pro-lifer and even, you know, some pro-choicers, you know, just naturally have a revulsion to that. Um, yeah, that's completely consistent, because the entire way in which we're, we're murdering our babies now as a culture is with drugs, with with substances. Um, and, you know, it's it's not going into the womb with forceps, um, but it's just as lethal. It, it just as easily kills a baby. And it's actually easier in some cases. You know, there are, there are organizations that will send you abor abortion pills for free if you ask for them. Um, but yeah, totally consistent. Absolutely. Yeah. And a similar train of thought is the fact that in many states... If a woman is murdered who is pregnant, the, the person who murdered her is going to be tried and has been in our day for double homicide yeah. for the mother and the, the person she was carrying in her womb. Yeah. And I think I think I've finally cracked the code on that one. I'm sure others have too. But I think what it is, it's, it's just complete worship of self that even allows that to happen where, you know, um, a baby is precious as long as he or she is wanted. That, that is what determines humanity, I think, in our in our culture, is does the mom want the baby? Check yes or check no. If yes, human being, you know, if you kill it, you get prosecuted for it. Check no, and, you know, it's open season on, on murdering that child. And it's all, it all comes down to the will of the mother and, and what she wants, right? So it, it gets back to that, uh, like, Carl, Carl Truman expressive individualism where, you know, my my emotions are my god my you know that is the way in which i worship myself is by my emotions whatever makes me feel good or feel bad that that becomes lord instead of instead of jesus christ being lord so as christians you know that goes back to the absolute truth issue and the relative truth we have to push back against that hard including in our in our legal system where you see that worship of self starting to work its way into our laws and we need to say nope this is god has said something completely different so we need to obey what he said Amen. That's good. That's a good insight. Um, do you think, you know, cause we've had, you know, Louisiana, that whole debacle, there's been a long fight in Oklahoma for years now in Missouri. We all know, you know, the listeners to this podcast are, are most likely very well aware of the fact that the main opposition to our abolition or equal bills of equal protection are pro-life Republicans, you know, when yeah. we've had our hearings for those bills in Missouri, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood has not even bothered to show up because they know Missouri right to life and Missouri campaign life are going to do their job for them. So no need to show up. And I wonder, you know, with the fact that we've seen Planned Parenthood get busted a couple of years ago for trafficking, aborted baby parts, things like that. It seems to me, I believe very firmly, not just it seems to me, that there is a spiritual element to this beyond just our own flesh and, you know, convenience and uh, ease of life and things. But it seems like there's a real, you know, it's like, what is Planned Parenthood doing with, you know, who are they selling those body parts to? Right. 
it seems like there's a real, I don't necessarily want to take you down a conspiracy theory road unless you want to go there, but it seems like there's real worship of Moloch of demons going on. And that's why it's such a hard issue. There's so much kicking and screaming yeah. uh, for this to happen when it should happen in Republican dominated States. Right. Yeah. That, that's an interesting point. Um, I have seen videos where, um, like emerging from TikTok, you know, they call it witch talk where you, you have literal witches, you have a, a TikTok community. And there was one that was going around a few months ago where uh, the lady was talking about um, abortions are some of the most powerful ways to cast spells because there's life magic and there's death magic, whatever that means. Right. So you can imagine, you know, there's a, a human being brought into the world and then just getting wiped out, you know, before he or she can even do anything. Um, so it's extremely sad. And yeah, it's, abortion has been happening for thousands of years and it's always the, the pagan shamans in any given culture who are the ones who are encouraging people to murder their babies and um, and with the spread of christianity we've seen that reversed and, and now that we've digressed from christianity in our culture we're seeing all that wickedness return uh and yeah with with the with respect to the baby the aborted baby parts getting sold you know i think you could probably make a case that's necromancy right where the bible explicitly pro prohibits you know um essentially messing with the dead in irreverent ways ways and you know trying to make magic with them so to speak and of course you know i don't think the scientists who are who are doing experiments on those aborted baby parts are thinking in those terms but it's the same heart issue where it's the same thing behind like transhumanism and, and trying to transcend the natural biological limitations of human beings where it, it's it goes back to self-worship you know other people are just fodder for my my research, my will, the medicine I'm trying to make, you know, the ends justify the means. I can I can destroy human life to supposedly protect human life. Um, so there's there's lots of issues at play there. And and I think we're gonna see all those increase in, in the coming years. Yeah. And the fact that there is a real tangible spiritual warfare warfare element to it, even just on the front lines, and I'm sure you're well aware of of maybe you experienced it or you've seen videos of people who are standing outside abortion clinics preaching the gospel calling to mothers plenty of videos of both mothers and abortion doctors who are just it's like they're possessed you know i'm not saying yeah. every one of them is but there's a real spiritual uh darkness to this right and i think that fact that this is that type of war it's not just a political game where we can compromise and make deals and it's all good that it going kind of circling going full circle here that kind of requires the stance of this is the word of god this is where i'm standing no all life should be protected we're not going to compromise we're we're dealing with real darkness here. And so there's no place to walk the fence. We you got to choose yeah. a side and get on it. Yep. So yeah. with that being the case, it's a two-sided question I have for you to kind of wrap things up. What kind of man or person is required? What it what it what does a man need to be able to fight that kind of fight in the political atmosphere of today? Hmm. And what hope do we have that we can win? Yeah, good questions. I mean, I think you're you're heading this direction, but the myth of neutrality is is the number one thing that needs to be rejected by American Christians, where we think that there's a neutral space somewhere out there where nobody's particular God is worshipped or religion is promoted. Uh, that's that's been, I think, the 
the default mindset for American Christian conservatives going into the public square is, you know, I have my faith and that informs my values, but that kind of stops, you know, where the, the legislation starts and, and, that, and that sort of thing. Um, that mindset needs to be completely rejected, right? Because Jesus Christ is Lord over the states. Um, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, the state bows to him. The, the state has a commission from him to uh, be a terror to evildoers and to promote that what that which is good. And, you know, how do you define good and evil except by God, by the light of his scriptures, by um, what is clear and obvious in his creation? Um, so that's, I guess that's what a Christian man needs is willingness to not only reject that sort of thinking, that that false way of, of saying that, you know, there's there's a world, there's a place where no particular God is worshipped, um, reject all that, and then be able to boldly confess what I just said, right? Where, where um, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord over all things, and, you know, we all need to obey him, acknowledge him. Uh, Psalm 2, our, our nations need to kiss the sun. Um, that is an actual command from the nations. And Acts 17, you know, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And that's that's not forcing religion or or mandating confessions of faith, but in terms of public policy, you know, we actually love our neighbors best when we look to the word of God and we look to what Christians have historically thought about with respect to uh, the civil sphere when we legislate, because that's the best way to love our neighbors is by uh, looking at the, the instruction manual from the God who made us and knows how we tick um, when we codify uh, certain things, when we legislate our morality, because all, all legislation is legislating morality. You know, it's either going to be pagan morality, it's going to be uh, demonic morality, where, which says that you can murder babies and trans kids and um, do all these sorts of things, or it's going to be Christian morality, true morality, the morality that, that God has revealed to us, um, where, no, these little children are, are worth protecting and should be protected um, as best we possibly can. Um, and then your second question was about what hope do we have? Yeah. Do we, is there hope that we can win or yeah. is it, is it all over? Yeah. Well, whether we win or, win or die, whether we live or die, we are the Lords, right? Amen. So <laughs> in a sense, that question doesn't even matter. We have our orders, right? We, we were to fight and to be faithful as best we possibly can. You know, our, our mission is not necessarily to, you know, win the world to Christ in this singular generation. Um, but that should be our goal, right? And if we, we if we get one percent of the Great Commission done in our generation, then and that's the best we could possibly do. That those are the doors that got opened. Then, then praise be to His name. But um, I do see a lot of encouraging signs, and I think really post COVID, we have a lot of people waking up just to how dark things are. Um, we even have people who are just who were generally conservative and recognize that that way of thinking works best for the world many of those people are turning to Christ because they're seeing that, you know, there, there are actual forces of evil and that's driving them to, you know, drawing them to the, to the true God. Right. Um, and so I think that there is a trajectory, uh, a way forward for people who are willing to, like you were saying earlier, uh, be bold. So don't compromise with evil. Don't be the mushy middle, but just set a standard and, and go for it and, and let God handle the results. I think that's the way forward. Amen. We all need that hope and encouragement because it's a hard fight and it's easy to take the black pill and just be a, a doomsdayer. <laughs> and uh, that makes you want to pull back and just retreat. And we can't do that uh, regardless of what we see in our day and our lifetimes. So absolutely. Ben, I appreciate your time. Appreciate everything you've said. It's been great. Um, any last words or if you kind of said all you want to say here? 
Uh, I'm not sure about any last words. I'm I'm working on a book right now that pertains to a lot of these issues. So um, in the early stages, almost done with the first chapter, um, but it's it's taking a look at some of these legislative battles over the past several years, um, where Christians get awakened in their conscience to to push against abortion to end abortion, and then like you were saying earlier, their number one enemies are not the pro-choice Democrats, it's the pro-life Republicans, and and why that was the case. Uh, so I'm doing interviews with some of those pro-life leaders and just having them you know, uh, I guess sort of put their, put what they what they think on the record. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I'm excited for this project. So maybe people can look out for that. Yeah. Hey, along those lines, I don't know how closely you're following, uh, what's happening in Missouri, but I'll, I'll share with you. And for the sake of the listeners too, if they're not up to date on things presently, we have in Missouri, a bill it's the, uh, abolish or, uh, the abolition of abortion act of Missouri sponsored by Mike Moon. It's Senate Bill 775. It has been assigned to a committee to the, I believe it's the Health and Wellness Committee or something like that. The committee chair is Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman uh, of Missouri. She is very proud of of being the most pro-life Republican in the state. Yeah. And uh, she has thus far not... It's all up to her. Now the bill is all in her hands, the way Missouri works. She is one that has to give that bill a hearing. Otherwise, it'll just die in committee. Mm-hmm. And she has all indications she's not going to touch it, going to give it a, even a hearing, Yeah, uh, which would not even be an endorsement. It's just saying, hey, this is worthy of debate. Let's let everybody talk about it and see if we want to pass right. that out of committee. So, so far, she has pretty much indicated it's going to die in, in committee on her watch. So that's what's going on. There is still time left in our session right now. So listeners, we need you to keep up. We know people have been doing a great job at making the calls uh, to her office, um, emails going there. And uh, I just want to take a moment and invite you all uh, to show up to our abolition rally, which is coming up February 21st. Uh, that's a Wednesday. The rally starts at 1 p.m. There'll be different speakers. Jeff Durbin will be our keynote speaker uh, there at the state capitol. And if you are a Missourian and you want to get there early, some of us will be there about 1030 in the morning to visit our legislators offices, go around, um, talk with them about this issue. And you are welcome to join us for that uh, if you would like to and can make it. So with that, Ben, appreciate your time. We will uh, sign off from here, and until then, we'll continue to fight and pray and trust the Lord uh, to see the end of abortion that is legalized and protected here in, in Missouri. Absolutely. Thanks, brother.